God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So we have a pretty big uh, show today. I have a lot of original thoughts I put together over the weekend, and I'm um, peeling the onion, folks. I'm peeling that onion. But I did say I was going to watch the Oscars uh, on Friday. I said that, and uh, and boy, did I watch the Oscars. Boy, what, what a uh, – it's changed. Let's put it that way. Uh, Ellen, uh, Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. Uh, West Side Story is, you know, uh, a kind of like a mixed gay version of itself, you know, non-binary and all this. Um, it seemed to check every box. It checked all the boxes. Oscars checked all the boxes. There was so much trans. There was so much non-binary. There was so much homosexuality. Uh, there is a lot of minorities. That's great. But it didn't really reflect the United States. I would say, you know, it was about 80% minority. And people from other countries and things like that, and that's fine. But why not have the Oscars instead of the Dolby Theater in L.A.? Why not just have it some, in some third world country somewhere? Why not have it in some other developing nation? Why not have it in Africa or have it in... Uh, you know, the Baltics, uh, have it in in uh, some Asian country somewhere. You know, wh- why have it? Why not have it in South America? Why have it here in the United States? Because it's hardly a domesticated uh, domestic thing anymore. It's hardly that. You know, it's not the days of John Wayne and Charlton Heston and Kate Hepburn and and Audrey Hepburn, and all these different, you know, people. It's it's different. It's it's just absolutely a kind of a shell of itself. And then you factor in the fact that they all wear these funky glasses, trying to look smart. And who knows? They probably are smart. They probably are talented. They are, probably are creative. But 
I got to tell you, when somebody like Will Smith stands up and punches a guy like Chris Rock in the face and then walks away and everybody's okay with that. You know, I remember it was a big deal when uh, Marlon Brando would come out and uh, he sent out a Native American Indian to accept his award and he was trying to draw attention to a cause. Every once in a while you get that. But you know, one of the things I was, I was talking about on this is that the reason why the ratings are at the lowest they've ever been is because there's no moral compass. There's no identity. You can't even say the, uh, the, the pronouns him and her without getting some sort of grief and feedback. These people are so so, hypersensitive about every little thing that it's just, it's not even a learning moment. People have tuned out. And to the point where you could actually make a joke. Now, I I actually think that the joke was a bad joke because, you know, uh, Jaden Pinkin Smith, uh, the the wife in the open marriage that is the Will Smith, Jaden Pinkett Smith uh, marriage, they're an open marriage. They have sex with other people and things like that. But, you know, he's protecting her and she has this um, disease, the same, um, uh, and she has, a, she has a medical condition that's causing her uh, to go bald or, or lose her hair. And so Chris Rock probably should have, you know, not gone in that direction. I, I certainly don't think it's funny to make fun of somebody's health condition. I, I don't. And I'm not condoning it. On the same token, maybe he didn't know. And I think it's kind of interesting, too, that someone like Chris Rock would not even have a script. They wouldn't have a script. And uh, that that's kind of a uh, interesting thing in and of itself. That he just off the fly, because if he wrote that down, somebody would have told him not to do that joke. That's for sure. But who knows, right? Who knows? But somebody would have told him. But he did the joke. And then, you know, uh, Will Smith thought it was a little bit funny. Well, he didn't think it was funny, but he tried to smile it off, laugh it off. But then his wife, you could see Jada Pinkin was upset about the joke. And so then Will Smith goes up on stage, slaps Chris Rock right in the face, and then starts expletives. Keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth, is what he said. And uh, that was, was it planned? Would anybody be even talking about the lowest rated Oscars in, in, in world history if it wasn't for that one moment where it became quickly an MMA fight? <laughs> what if Chris Rock punched back? I would have. I'm sorry. You know, I don't turn the other cheek too well. But, you know, who who's to say? What, what if Chris Rock falls to the ground, bangs his head, and ends up in the hospital. The show, do they cancel the show at that point? Well, then Will Smith ends up winning Best Actor that night. You wonder if they're going to take a, you know, 
take their coupon back? Are they going to reverse that decision? Is he worthy of that kind of thing? I think he tarnished the Oscars forever. Because no matter what it is, you can be, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know, it was a bad joke. The guy's up there in front of the world making a bad joke. It happens. Get over it. But to to say that your first response is to punch somebody in the face or slap somebody in the face to the point where you could actually cause them bodily harm and then start expressing your own personal attitude with expletives, the F word, F bomb, in front of the whole crowd, ruining the moment, really. It makes it all about you. And these same people that stand up there and tell you that Trump is bad act like the biggest loser fools on the planet. And they act like that they're all about peace and love and this and that. There's so much love in the room. You know where you could find love? You could find love in Crawford, Georgia over the weekend where Trump gave a rally to promote candidates that actually support America First policies. And so that was where there was a lot of love. There's a lot of love at a Trump rally. Not so much. There's a lot of hypocrisy at the Oscars. And I hadn't seen the Oscars in years. I said this, you know, I said, well, Leonora was doing a paper, or not a paper, an article. She's writing an article over The Spectator. And she's doing this article about the Oscars from a cultural perspective. So I said, okay, I'll watch it with you. And we watched it. And she was doing notes and research. And then that happened, right, with Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I got to tell you, it was, it was just embarrassing. Just absolutely embarrassing to think that somehow you're all about world peace except for when your wife's feelings get offended by a comedian, you stand up there and interrupt the whole thing, destroy the moment for all these people, and punch a guy in the face or slap a guy in the face, not worrying about whether he's going to be okay or not. If he fell, if he slipped and hit his head on the stage, he could end up with a fractured skull. His career could be over. And already, I think Chris Rock's brand is tarnished because there was so much attention drawn to the bad joke. And in Hollywood, they've sided with Will Smith. Big surprise, right? No surprise. So I just, I don't know. I think it's a train wreck. I think that that our moral compass is gone. This is what happens when you start to adopt transgender as normal and try to promote like Netflix is. Netflix Netflix has become the butt of jokes. I can't help but see all over social media, you know, how they're talking about how woke Netflix is ever since the Obamas got on the board. Those racist fools, the Obamas, have got up there and every single show you see, every series, there's got to be a trans, there's got to be a non-binary, there's got to be a homosexual couple, an interracial couple, and all these things that, Frankly, you know, they all happen in life, but not at the degree that they're happening. 
if you were to watch these things, you would you would start to think, you would start to think that maybe that's the norm. The eighty five percent of America is trans. Eighty five percent of America is homosexual. Eighty five percent of America is black, or eighty five percent of America is Latino, or eighty five. You know, it's crazy numbers. They want to reflect what's happening in society to keep it real, but they're not real themselves. They're making this crap up. They're gaslighting America into thinking that we're some sort of a developing third world nation. They got our inflation up so high, it's, it's, it's crazy. People are spending what? How much money are you spending at the pump? Is it over $100 now? Meanwhile, I believe this is an attack from the globalists on the middle class. You know, my new, my new, I'm going to get a new business card, and my new business card is going to say, hey, I'm Scott Adams, anti-globalist. Because I can't think of a description that describes me better than just saying I'm anti-globalist. I'm an anti-globalist. I think it infects every aspect of our lives. And we have, I have a lot of original thoughts that I put down on paper, and they're going to show up in my substack. And by the way, uh, come April 1st, uh, anybody signing up after April 1st uh, to the Substack, because we're, gonna, we're about to do a mail blast, anybody that signs up for the Substack after April 1st is not going to have access to the premium section that we're rolling out in the months to come. We're going to be doing videos, vlogs, interviews, split screen interviews, and things like that. And all of that is going to be done through magapack.org. It's going to show up on my Substack uh, because I'm going to be the uh, person that's going to be the host on these things. And so there's going to be a lot of different videos, vignettes. Uh, there's, there might even be a walk and talk through D.C. And some other ideas that we have floating around. And so uh, we're going to be doing this stuff. But... If you sign up before April 1st, we're going to put you in the premium section for free. You'll have access to that till the end of the year. And then we're going to send out a campaign. If you want access to the premium content, there will be a fee. But the show and the contents and the source information that we put into the show and all of my tweets that I tweet and all my Facebook posts are going to migrate into the show because that's how I actually produce the show every day. I put it up on my social media. So if you want to see what I'm going to be talking about, uh, we're also going to have something in the premium section that's going to lay out the show in a Substack. We're going to post it. And if you wanted to see what Scott's going to be talking about, and then eventually we're going to have transcripts of the show and we're going to have also a timeline so you don't, you know, uh, uh, for each show at the minute mark, what the, the, the topics are. We have to actually get a little bit more organized with the show when we do that. But a lot's going to be happening there, and we're going to be upping our game this year. And uh, again, so I encourage you to go to scottadamshow.substack.com. Now, over the weekend, also, Joe Biden gave a speech in Poland, and he he was also talking with the troops in Poland, and it was kind of interesting because they he did not get the reception that, say, Trump got. People loved 
Trump. The, the soldiers loved Trump. The rank and file loved Trump. They look at Biden as a joke. There were so many pictures floating around of them with their eyebrows together, kind of inquisitive, like, wow, this guy is half there. He's, he looks like, uh, you know, Max Headroom, you know, like a robot, like wires are going to come out of his head at any moment. I mean, they were looking at him like he was a freak. And I think Biden is sort of like a freak. And every time he opens his mouth, he just says something really boneheadedly stupid. And it's just sad. You know? And he has a history of being a racist, and yet he tries to act like he's not. And everybody can see it. His numbers are through through the the floor. he's, He's tanking. His economic numbers, 33% likability, approval. 40% approval overall. That's really low. 39% is like low. So it's bad for Joe Biden. But he went off script. And next thing you know, he starts to talk about regime change in Russia. And then the White House is uh, scrambling to peel that back and say, no, that's not what he said. He didn't mean to say that. Joe don't know what he mean. Joe doesn't know what he's saying. He reads a script, and that's good. And up until that point, he was reading and reading, and he sounded like a little bit like, you know, okay, normal. And then all of a sudden, he goes off script, derails, his brain takes over, and next thing you know, he's uh, soiling his pants or whatever. I don't know what Joe Biden does. I heard that that's what happened in England, though. He did soil his pants. You know, so there was a meme floating around says, you know, that uh, term that rhymes with it and so uh, expletive for poop. So he said, it says poops and giggles, right? And um, and there's uh, Kamala laughing like a hyena. And, uh, and, you know, it's a funny meme. John Brennan, they someone found a tweet that John Brennan uh came up with John Brennan remember John Brennan the CIA director well John Brennan on just before the 2020 election in October October 9th 2020 he tweeted this out now check this out listen to this imagine prospects for world peace this is John Brennan okay this is John Brennan on October 9th 2020 and he says Imagine prospects for world peace, prosperity, and security if Joe Biden were president of the United States. And Alexei Navalny, the president of Russia, will soon be halfway there. They were talking about regime change before the election. It's almost as if this is part of the script. It's almost as if it's part of the script. And so I wrote... CIA and state officials worked with Hunter in Ukraine to procure bioweapons, murdered, then used Gaddafi assets in Benghazi to finance ISIS mercenaries to secure Iraqi oil transports to Europe and Africa. They freed ISIS leader al-Baghdadi from a, camp, uh, from a detention center. It was called Camp Buka. It was an Iraqi detention center in the south-central area of Iraq, destabilized part of Syria and worked with radical Erdogan 
in Turkey to free shipping lanes, all for personal profit. Now Putin is exposing their corruption and taking part of Ukraine in the process. Now Biden is risking the lives of American soldiers to clean up the corruption and mess. And all this information is coming out about Joe, uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, right? Hunter Biden. All this corruption is coming out about Hunter Biden, right? And I'm thinking, is this by accident? Is this a coincidence that this is all coming out? I mean, here's two, two titles on the Daily Mail. There's The Sun. There's The New York Post. And there's a whole bunch of other publications, The Pulse, National Pulse, writing these, this stuff about you know Metabiota, the uh, biotech uh, company that uh, was connected with uh, Peter Danzig and, uh, from Echo Health Alliance and connected with Dr. Fauci, connected with bioweapons, connected just like the Wuhan lab. And it's quite clear that that's what's going on, right? That we're, we're outsourcing because of the dangers of this leaking. We're no longer going to have it in Port Detrick. What we're going to, in, in, on the East Coast, what we're going to do is outsource it to other countries. And that's why it was in Wuhan. That's why it's in Ukraine. And we're going to have them do our dirty work for us for a lot of reasons. Part of it is constitutionality and legalities. But the Daily Mail writes this exclusive Hunter Biden did help did help secure millions in funding for U.S. contractor in Ukraine specializing in deadly pathogen research. Laptop email reveals. Laptop emails reveal raising more questions about the disgraced son of then vice president. The Russian government held a press conference Thursday claimed that Hunter Biden helped finance a U.S. military bioweapons research program in Ukraine. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Putin felt uncomfortable. No? Maybe? I don't know. So maybe he thought, you know, maybe there's a lot of stuff going on in Ukraine and a lot of people are profiting from this. Burisma is involved with energy. That's affecting Russia's oil business. They're getting in the way of of, uh, some of their vested interests in oil sales. They're, they're uh, engaged in national security threats. may not be a nuclear bomb, but it might be a bioweapon. You can actually knock out Moscow in two days with a deadly bioweapon, right? So that would be an existential threat. It says here, however, the allegations were branded as a brazen propaganda ploy to justify President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and sow, sow discord in the U.S. But emails and correspondence obtained by DailyMail.com from Hunter's abandoned laptop show the claims may well be true. They are true. The emails show Hunter helped secure millions of dollars of funding for Metabiota, a Department of Defense contractor specializing Department of Defense Oh my God, we've been right all along. Contractor specializing in research on pandemic-causing diseases. He also introduced Metabiota to a allegedly corrupt Ukrainian gas firm, Burisma. Oh, Mitt Romney's Kofor Black was on the board of Burisma. So was uh, and 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 Zelensky's Kolomoisky oligarch was connected with Burisma, and 
Of course, we know that Hunter Biden was connected with Burisma getting paid millions of dollars for a science project involving high biosecurity level labs in Ukraine. The president's son and his colleagues invested $500,000 in Metabiota through their research, Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners. That was their firm that they, that they used to invest in Metabiota. 500000 bucks, but they got $3.5 million from the mayor of Russia, uh, mayor of Moscow, the mayor of Moscow in Russia, the Russian city, the largest Russian city and capital. They raised several million dollars of funding for the company from investment giants, including Goldman Sachs. Remember when Hillary Clinton gave speeches to Goldman Sachs and they paid the Clinton Foundation so much money? It's all connected. They're all owned by BlackRock and people like Vanguard. And they're controlling the world. They're controlling the world in ways we can't even fathom. And BlackRock itself is just such a um, such a such a uh, corrupt country, you know. I mean, I mean, black, black, corrupt corporation. You know, when you hear the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, Larry Fink, saying this, it kind of has you in great concern, doesn't it? When you hear well, behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing. Well, right. behaviors are going to have to change, and this. Well, behaviors. Are, well, behaviors are going to have to. change. Behaviors are going to have to change. Let's see. This is BlackRock, the most powerful man in the world, who actually has more investments and in money changing hands than countries. Let's take a listen to what he has to say. This madman named Larry Fink. Well, behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing we're going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. Wow. So that's the company, that's the, that's the guy that heads the company that owns everything. They own Coke and Pepsi. So when you think that Coke and Pepsi are vying for market share, so one's going for like 60% and the other's got 40% of the market. Well, this guy's got the whole 100%. He doesn't even have to compete. He's got a monopoly. Which brings me to the next point that I want to make, and that is I think Biden, uh, I think Biden has done, done a lot of what he's done intentionally. And when you listen to Tulsi Gabbard speak about this, I think it makes perfect sense. Let's take a listen to Tulsi Gabbard when she says, I think this is intentional. That's the only thing it can be. End this crisis and prevent a war uh, with Russia by doing something very simple, guaranteeing that Ukraine will not become a member of NATO. Because if Ukraine became a member of NATO, that would put U.S. and NATO troops directly on the doorstep of Russia, which as Putin has laid out, would undermine their national security interests. Uh, the reality is that it is highly, highly unlikely that Ukraine will ever become a member of NATO anyway. So the question is, why doesn't President Biden and, and NATO leaders actually just say that yes. and guarantee it? Which, which begs the question of, of why are we in this position then? Uh, if, if the answer to this and preventing this war from happening is, is very clear as day, and, and, and really it just points to one conclusion that I can see, which is they actually want Russia to invade Ukraine. 
Why would they? Because, number one, it gives the Biden administration a clear excuse to go and levy draconian sanctions, which are a modern-day siege against Russia and the Russian people. And number two, it cements this Cold War in place. Uh, you know, the, the military-industrial complex is the one that benefits from this. They clearly control the Biden administration. Warmongers on both sides in Washington have been drum drumming up these tensions. If, if they get Russia to invade Ukraine, then, uh, again, it locks in this new Cold War. The military-industrial complex starts to make a ton of more money than, than they have been in fighting uh, al-Qaeda or, or making weapons for al-Qaeda. And who pays the price? The American people pay the price. The Ukrainian people pay, pay the price. The Russian people pay the price. It undermines our own national security, but the military-industrial complex that controls so many of our politicians wins, and they, they run to the bank. You've seen this from both sides as a lawmaker and a member of our armed forces, so I think you've got a credible view on this. I've looked at this carefully, Tucker, and I have yet to find any benefit that a, a political leader has used or could use to justify this to the American people. All you hear is like, well, we have to defend democracy. We have to defend this democratic country of Ukraine. But as you know very well, uh, this current president, you know, shuts down, politi arrests political opposition, throws them in yep. jail, shuts down TV stations that are critical to him. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how President Biden or anyone can say with an honest face, we are defending democracy. And the reason is because our own government has publicly supported these authoritarian actions by the Ukrainian president in shutting down their own political opposition. And it begs the question, uh, this sounds familiar to some of the things that unfortunately we're seeing play out right here at home. I was, about, I was just about to say, it sounds like their kind of democracy. And there, she also goes on to say, and they want it to happen. It's, it's as if they want it to happen. That's the only reason why you can get to the point. And they, she also said that the military-industrial complex ended up giving money to uh, al-Qaeda. How about ISIS, right? So when I read that uh, piece in response to John Brennan uh, talking about talking about uh you know how the, the, we we we've been in the business of nation building for too long it's just been getting out of out of hand when john brennan said we want to overthrow russia's leader and replace him with alexei navalny uh and when biden is out there saying he wants a regime change in russia didn't we do a regime change in Afghanistan? How did that work out? The Taliban is in charge, and they just got $80 billion worth of military equipment. I, we, we did a nation building in Iraq, and guess what happened there? Their oil got into the hands of rogue uh, mercenary groups and terrorist groups financed by not only the United States and their cronies in, in, uh, and, and oligarchs, Connected with politicians. That's why we saw McCain and Lindsey Graham and all these people spending too much time in the Middle East hanging out with people like al-Baghdadi. And the reason why was because there was so much money to be made. The reason why we murdered Gaddafi is to free up shipping lanes going into Africa. 
The reason why we actually overthrew Mubarak in Egypt is to free up shipping lanes going down into Africa and the waterways that were needed between Egypt and the uh, Middle East Peninsula. Because, you know, Libya is right on the water. Egypt is on pretty much the other side and uh, just south of Israel. And then you got Syria to the north of Israel and sort of like a gateway between uh, the Middle East and Europe. And Turkey is there too, which is why Obama said about Erdogan, who's turned Turkey into a radical Islamic nation practically, lost its identity and its culture. He's ruined it. He's fleeced it. But he's a NATO country, and we need them strategically. And he has leverage in that way. But they were a conduit to steal Iraqi oil and not only drive it down south through Libya into Africa, which was huge money there, but then also north up into Europe. And there was huge money and corporate interests there. So you had all these willing participants in terms of the private corporations. The military-industrial complex got involved, but the State Department thought they were clever too. They thought, and the CIA, John Brennan, hence John Brennan. And we know that John, uh, CIA and the State Department and Victoria Nuland are involved in Ukraine, along with Marie Ivanovich and all these people that were involved in the impeachment of President Trump. You see, that's what's going on, folks. This President Trump, they did not want, and I, I heard this too, and we played this clip for you, but the reason why they didn't want, well, this was something that Joe Biden said to Poroshenko, and I played this clip last week. I'm not going to play it today. <clears throat> but the reason, and he mentions Privet Bank, which is a Kolomoisky bank. Kolomoisky is a financier of Zelensky, and he was an opponent of Poroshenko, but at the time, Biden had to work with Poroshenko because President Trump was President-elect Trump at the time. And he starts working with Poroshenko saying, don't commit to any deals with Trump because if Trump were to give you money, he would then have to do due diligence and investigations and the wheels of bureaucracy and all the middle management people in government would find all kinds of crimes And we don't want anybody looking into this because we got a lot of things going and wheels turning. And I think it's at this point that when Tulsi Gabbard says that they almost want Russia to invade Ukraine is because now Russia's fingerprints are all over the crime scene. And now, just like the OJ trial, you can't convict Because every single moment that they're going to get involved with um, crime and evidence, they're going to say, no, that's Russia disinformation. That's Russia. That's Russia doing that. Russia's saying something. Russia's lying. That's Russia did that. Bioweapons, those are Russians' bioweapons. You know, all this crime. But just like they're blaming Putin for the inflation, 
which we know is not true because we know what happened before Putin went into Ukraine. But they're doing it nonetheless, and there's people stupid enough to actually believe it. They're doing the same thing and blaming Russia for everything else, too. And this whole concept concept of nation building is all interconnected because it's global. And then Biden starts to talk about this new world order. What the heck is that about? Why are we talking about a new world order? What is a new world order? Does anyone know? Anybody? I want to read this to you. I wrote this over the weekend. I said, Biden's new world order. What is he talking about? And why are so many suggesting Biden wanted Putin to invade Ukraine? Like Tulsi Gabbard did suggest that. That she thinks that Biden wants Putin to invade Ukraine. It could have easily been avoided. And that's why it was so ridiculous and unlikely. But he did invade Ukraine. He took the bait, and I think Putin fell into a trap. I think that in the wake of COVID, the globalists have gained a lot of strength and power and leverage over the middle class. And still, we're getting crushed with gas prices and inflation and supply chains. And now, Biden over the weekend said something about there's going to be a long-term rationing of food. We're going to actually have food supply chain problems in addition to fossil fuels. Never mind the fact that he closed down the Keystone, which it when, when finished would have resulted in us being energy independent and driving the, uh, do, uh, re- resolving the supply chain issues and driving down inflation. But no, he didn't want to do that. So this Biden New World Order, what is he talking about? What is a New World Order? Let's think about that for a second. What is he talking about when he says New World Order? Well, the Japanese, it's not the first time that we would be talking about a New World Order. The Japanese thought about a New World Order back in the when they bombed Pearl Harbor. Why do you think, and ask yourself this question, see if you know it. Why do you think the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Why do you think that is? In part, what it was, was when Germany was escalating their Nazism and their totalitarianism in Europe, and Hitler was on on, on on the aggression. The United States was getting drug into that war in Europe. And when the United States started looking east to Europe, the Japanese, who is, had a really high uh, GDP, had a lot of produ- product- productivity, had a, a grow- fast-growing population, needed more precious minerals, precious metals, and other things to make their commerce grow. They needed all kinds of mining and fossil fuels and all these things that they were, their island was limited to. They needed more assets. And so as we were looking east to stamp out the aggressions of Hitler, it was the Japanese that said, you know, I, we see a new world order here. 
we see us, we see the Japanese, Japanese said this, we, need, we see the Japanese reigning supreme in the Asian world. And we see Hitler prevailing in Europe. But we also see the United States being the supreme leader of the Americas, North America, South America, Central America. And so there would be a three-tiered world order. And that three-tier world order was what they saw. What they didn't realize is we had an atomic bomb to put, it, put them out. We bombed Hiroshima. And so we ended up prevailing and winning both wars. That was the great generation. And that was a struggle. We got involved in stamping out Hitler and we squashed Japanese reigning supreme over the entire Asian world. We did both. We fought the war in the Pacific and we fought the war in Europe. But that's exactly what Japan had in mind. That sort of new world order, that new dynamic. So I write this. I say, Biden's new world order. What is he talking about? And why are so many suggesting Biden wanted Putin to invade Ukraine, like Tulsi Gabbard? Military industrial complex profits is one incentive. Could be one, right? Putin having compromising intel on the Biden crime family is another. I mean, is it any coincidence that all this new information is coming out into the papers now? I think that Putin is releasing information as Biden gets more aggressive with the sanctions. And it's a tit-for-tat punishment. And the oligarchs in Russia are told to control what they disseminate because anything they release gives up part of their hand and their strength and their leverage that impacts Russian national security. So they're in check. If they violate Putin's trust, they'll be in jail. They'll lose everything overnight. So they tow the line that Putin wants them to tow. And the information that they have to give or withhold is part of their national security strategy. And right now, they're releasing just enough information to make it very interesting for the Biden crime family. So they say Ukraine comes to mind without, without question. COVID, climate, and the war in Ukraine have hurt the middle class, strengthened the multinational globalist elites, which is true. That's definitely a fact. It happened. And brought us closer to what Biden calls a new world order. This is not the first time a country envisioned and acted upon their interest for a new world order. One could argue that Japan had a vision of three-tiered new world order, and this was their reason for bombing Pearl Harbor, where they saw themselves as the ruler of Asia, they saw Germany prevailing in Europe, and they saw the United States dominating the Americas. Today, globalists see a two-tiered new world order, where Russia... China and Iran formed their alliance with a competing currency like the yuan. And the threat this will pose to the West will create a necessity for a larger EU. 
Now, when I say that, what I'm talking about is they're almost creating an incentive for this. The globalists are. Because they know they're never going to be able to get adopt or become an ally with China, Russia, and Iran. They know that they're always going to be an enemy. So they'll go ahead but they'll they'll have go ahead they'll go ahead and drive that alliance and by driving that alliance and creating a crisis in North America and in Europe and making it so there's par- parity uh um par- parity like uh equal equality they they're going to say that, suggest that there's a there's a threat to our existence that we need to we need to have a stronger alliance. And so what what will happen is like Cloward and Piven, tear it down and build it back up in the way that you want. Saul Alinsky style. That's what's going on here on a global scale. So globalists see a two-tiered new world order where Russia, China, and Iran form a very strong alliance with competing currencies like the yuan, the petro yuan, and things like that. But the threat this will pose to the West will create a necessity in crisis, a necessity for a larger EU. Biden sees a new world order where EU, the EU, the European Union, and a North American Union, a new North American Union, like Canada, Central America, South America, and the United States will form as one large alliance resulting in two monopolies controlling the world's population where American elected officials answer to the UN and globalist governing bodies in Brussels. So the net result of that will be more taxation with less representation. You call your congressman and you ask them to make a difference with their vote and they'll laugh at you in your face and they'll say, I don't have that kind of control. That control has been ceded to the United Nations. And that will end up being how they convert the United States into some sort of cuckold or subsidiary to a globalist governing body. And they've been talking about this for years that the UN should come in and and rescue America and, and and manage things and become a referee and things like that. The only problem is the UN is run by a bunch of socialist commies, globalists. That's what globalists are. They're Marxists in disguise. They're ugly. They're as bad as communism. They're as aggressive as communism too. Just ask Justin Trudeau if he's sad about the fact that his horses ran over a woman's face when the Ottawa truckers honked their horns too loud or when he seized their bank accounts. You know, these globalists are monsters. The meme I have on this report that I wrote says globalism is slavery. Say no to the new world order. Hey, you've all heard about predatory predatory takeovers. So like Mitt Romney, you know, when he was 
working in the days of Bain Capital. He was like a pirate. He would go in and he would buy up corporations. He would break them apart, sort of like Gordon Gecko and Wall Street. And he would take these companies and buy them off, break them into pieces and sell them off. And one of the things they did, now listen good, listen to this and this is good. This is actually a very interesting um, concept and thought process I put together here. And it's going to appear in my Substack, scottadamshow.substack.com. So remember when Mitt Romney ran Bain Capital, he would buy up and gobble up companies and then break them apart and sell them off into pieces. And one of the things he would do to make them more profitable is he would fire all the older employees that were near pension, near retirement, near their golden parachute. There were employees that weren't quite as savvy as the young technocrats, uh, but they were experienced, but their salaries were twice as much as if, if they were to hire somebody right out of college and retrain them and retool them. And so they would get rid of all these older employees and there was a lot of laws that came up out of this because that's what was commonly done. And what they ended up doing is they ended up uh, firing a whole bunch of older employees and making the company more profitable, breaking it up into pieces and selling it off. Typically, these actions resulted in leveraged buyouts and massive exodus of older and more expensive employees just before their retirement. Well, this is eerily similar to the way globalists use COVID to take over the world, isn't it? Didn't COVID kill a whole bunch of older people that were almost in retirement age, getting their social, uh, social security checks and, and their Medicare, Medicare and their social, so, you know, government health aid in Italy? And I'm not just talking about the United States, but elsewhere where the socialized medicine and so when Bill Gates, you know, talks about we got to cut a couple of things like, you know, we got to reduce the world's population and we got to, you know, with socialized medicine, um, vac- new vaccines and uh, things like that, you know, that's what was happening. He was curbing the population through uh, socialized medicine meant death panels. And new vaccines meant myocarditis, maybe, you know. So that's the kind of thing that was happening. So now the globalists have us all scrambling to try to get back to work. And as soon as we are, it means nothing because the salaries we're going to go back to aren't going to pay the gas price at the pump. It's not even going to come close. The things have doubled in price and yet our salaries are still the same. So we're weaker. And I believe that is part of their strategy, their overall strategy. So this whole New World Order thing, and they talk about um, Putin. Well, Obama, in 2016, his last year in office, Obama dropped 26,171 bombs in 2016. His final year in office. What a bloody end to the Obama regime. Ask yourself, who has treated the J6 protesters worse, Biden or Putin? Who has raised the price of gas more, by, more, Biden or Putin? Who treated the Ottawa truckers worse, Trudeau or Putin? 
globalists are the most ruthless and most evil of all. And by the way, nothing for nothing, but they were lying to you about COVID. Two months after New Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin ended school mask mandates, guess what? Cases among kids aged 0 to 19 in Virginia are down 93%. Other than political theater and virtue signaling, like DeSantis said when he told his kids to get uh, at South, Southern Florida, South Florida University to take the masks off and get rid of the theater, there is quite a, literally no evidence or data-based arguments to support forcibly masking kids in schools. And we're seeing this truth come out left and right everywhere you turn. So this is, this is something, right? I also said this. Ukrainian oligarchs are leaving with car loads of cash as Ukrainian leaders ask for more arms and aid. What did they do with the billions of dollars already given to them? Where is it? Where's the money? They're on, the Klitschko's were on Maria Bartiroma this weekend, asking for money, more money, more assets, more weapons. <clears throat> for the last 20 years, we've been giving them truckloads of money. What did you do with it? It reminds me of that Mayor Ray Nagin. Remember him from New Orleans? He wanted to turn New Orleans into a chocolate city. They were given billions of, of millions and millions and millions of dollars to strengthen the levees. They were supposed to sustain a Category 5 hurricane. Guess what? Katrina comes in, it was remodified to be a Category 3 hurricane, maybe a 4. But this levy didn't have a chance. It's because they were taking the money that was supposed to go into the levy and they were putting it into their pockets and corrupt politicians, right? That's what's been happening in Ukraine. These oligarchs are leaving with truckloads of cash and they squandered all the money and now they're begging for more. Puerto Rico is the same. We gave them all kinds of aid. They said, Trump's not giving us enough. Trump said, I gave you a truckload. You got truckloads of water sitting there rotting in a field because, you know, how about the ventilators that were sitting there in a warehouse, not unused during the COVID? Because there was a lot of corruption, this money that was invested into these things. And there's so much corruption in Ukraine. There's a lot of corruption. Biden, Romney, Pelosi, Kerry's sons. You know, there's a lot of corruption in Ukraine. And yet, you know, what did they do with all the money that we already gave them? So there's going to be a negotiation today. And Russia's probably going to walk away with some land, Donbass, and some other things to get a ceasefire. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com. Uh, uh, for the latest podcast, scottadamshow.substack.com for our Substack that I'm going to be producing right after the show. And also be sure to check out magapack.org. Find out what we're doing about America First policies to make America great again and make a donation if you can. And use Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there